Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ culture and the church. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. My name is Aaron, and I'm joined here in the Where We Land studio with my co-host Laura. Hey everyone. And Steven. Hello everybody. And Morgan McClure. What's up guys? And thank you so much for joining us here for a challenging conversation today on sexual abuse and the SBC. As many of you know, have probably by now un- undoubtedly heard about the unearthing of a scandal in the Southern Baptist Convention. If you are unclear about this situation, here's a brief but certainly not an all-inclusive explanation of what's unfolded. Uh, in an article entitled Abuse of Faith 2019, it was published in the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News following a six-month investigation of the Southern Baptist Convention. The report detailed that for decades, the upper leadership of the SBC had kept private, had kept a private document, which detailed hundreds of people in both paid and volunteer church leadership positions that have been credibly accused and convicted of sex crimes. In response to this article, the SBC launched their own investigation, and there was in fact a concealed list of approximately 700 names, the majority of which were Southern Baptist affiliated. This list was concealed from the pastors and congregations of the convention, and at the time of the reports released, it was found that a handful of these convicted people were actually still working and serving in the local church. The gross neglect of the leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention to share this list with local congregations and pastors uh, makes them both ethically and morally responsible for any subsequent abuse that has occurred because of the document's concealment. So here at Where We Land, we are deeply grieved over the tremendous pain and the suffering that this concealment has cost in the lives of the abused. And we condemn that the Southern Baptist Conventions Act, uh, we condemn their concealment of this document, which put innocent people in positions of danger and abuse. And we are also committed to the practice of justice and seeking to live out our faith from a position of truth. And it is clear that throughout Scripture that God is a God of justice, and He is a defender of the vulnerable and the mistreated. And as Christians, we are called to do the same. So today on the podcast, we've just come together for a brief discussion of the appropriate response that Christians should have towards sexual abuse. So thank you so much for listening to the full conversation ahead. Well, guys, we kind of read that as a statement from us. I think it's easier for us to kind of just read a statement of what we, as a podcast, uh, affirm about what's transpired. And I think, you know, if you've not heard about this, um, I think this has definitely been something that is, um, within Christian circles, has been a major cultural, um, social um, issue that has come to light, not actually only in the Southern Baptist Convention, but actually you think about the last number of years, and it just seems to me that, you know, we've seen uh, a a similar, uh, not same, but similar thing transpire through the Catholic Church that came out a number of years ago. And then I just think, I think about over the last number of years, 
it seems to be so many public names and notable preachers and people that uh, we have listened to and and esteemed and have now been caught in the midst of a, of, of a moral scandal. And I think, um, you know, when 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 that situation came out about the SBC, I, I know for not everybody at this table, but at least for myself and Stephen, both of us pastor at a Southern Baptist church. And um, it was so challenging to me to not just read the report, uh, but Christianity Today actually released an article on May 22nd, which I think that's the article that's gained so much uh, attention. And the the title of the article is Southern Baptists Refuse to Act on Abuse Despite Secret List of Pastors. And can I just say that like having read that, um, it is seriously heartbreaking Mm -hmm. to read that and, and to think about so many people that were so deeply wounded and I couldn't help but just read the article and be appalled at it. I mean, I remember I sent it to you, Stephen, actually, as soon as I finished reading it and I just, I couldn't believe what had transpired. And so can I just say that like, Hey, today on the podcast, um, our, our intention with the conversation today is actually not to go through the report. We're not here to even necessarily talk about the Southern Baptist as much as we are trying to address kind of the larger question and how is, and that is how is a Christian, how is a person to process information like this, um, and so, you know, we'll be talking about the SBC and what came uh, to light, uh, but our, our intention is not really to uh, expound uh, the the information of what transpired. So let me just say that, and that that's my response to a lot of it, is just how heartbreaking and appalling so much of it is. And I just want to give a chance to those of you guys here at the table to also kind of give your response to kind of our statement. Stephen? Yeah, so I think my response was initially and still is um, a couple of things, but it's pretty straightforward. It's um, my heart goes out to everyone who was a victim of the list of abusers and also those who weren't on the list. Um, We all know that a list is a, yes, it was there, but we all know that, that that this act of sexual abuse is much deeper than any list will ever find. Um, it's a pervasive, um, sin and crime right now in our culture right now is sexual abuse. So my heart goes out to all the victims who have ever been affected by that, were affected specifically by that list, uh, by those that have, um, been in the leadership of the SBC. Um, my heart goes out to every single one of those victims. And, uh, my, I also felt anger, um, when I first saw it because, um, it's just like, really like, um, this isn't that, this isn't that difficult (laughs) to, um, to address. Like you do what's right and you report it and you, you take care of it through the proper legal and spiritual channels to seek restoration and repentance. Um, but that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, there was an anger there. And also I think my, um, my response now in the aftermath is like, encourage, reach out, minister. If I know of anybody, I don't know anybody personally who was a victim that was affected by that. But if I encounter them to reach out to them, if I encounter any victim of sexual abuse to encourage them to, to (laughs) report it, do the, do the proper, uh, legal, uh, work and, um, seek, uh, healing from that. But also my heart is with, um, driving for repentance from those who are guilty. 
um, I remember somebody asked me and they were like, so um, like, what do you even expect from somebody who is maybe in that process? Well, I expect them to pay for what they've done <laughs> um, and to repent and repent. Um, they need to repent from their sins. Like it's very, it's very straightforward. Um, and I don't mean to be, um, overly harsh, but it's very straightforward. You have sinned and thus you need to repent of your sin. Now there's a lot of complicated things maybe in the middle of how all that gets worked out individually, but there must be repentance of sin. And, um, there also must be legal accountability. And I think that's where my heart now is, is just like, you, you need to be accountable, uh, for what you've done. If, if that's where, uh, if you are guilty of that. And so I think that that's just a, like a snapshot of like my feelings and things that I've gone through since all of it happened. Well, I agree. And, um, I agree with both of your sentiments, both you, Aaron and Steven. So I'm not going to expound upon the things that you said, But I think what I would like to say is that while I am not a Southern Baptist and don't attend a Southern Baptist church, I am a believer. And as part of the the big C church, like the body of Christ worldwide, um, if you're someone who's listening that was affected by whether it's this concealment and the gross negligence that has occurred in the Southern Baptist Convention, in the concealment of this list, Or if you're someone who has, um, you have been abused by someone who um, claimed to follow Christ, I am so sorry. And I cannot fix what happened to you. And I'm so sorry if someone who said they were a shepherd of the flock of Christ um, hurt you. Or if you were abused and you went forward and you were um, dismissed or um, belittled or ignored. Um, I am so, so sorry. And I cannot fix it. But on behalf of the body of Christ, all I can do is ask and just tell you that I'm sorry. And to, um, to just tell you that we do care and we are, we are all so deeply grieved that you were hurt at all, but that especially you were hurt by anyone who claimed to be um, acting on behalf of your creator because they weren't. And they were wrong. And you're a victim. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Yeah, thanks, Laura. I appreciate you sharing that. Morgan? Yeah, I have nothing much else to add other than that. When one part of the body of Christ is hurting, um, yeah. we should all feel it. Um, and then I think just particularly sensitive as a woman, like I know Laura and I, like we're feeling it, um, even though, you know, we are not victims ourselves. But um, the fact that the Lord calls us to seek justice and love mercy, what the SBC did in concealing that was not seeking justice or loving mercy. So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. 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 So uh, I, th- I think our, our, our aim today on our conversation is, once again, not to, to dig through all the report of things that have come to light, but really to kind of ask the question, like, what do these recent events mean for, I guess, first, uh, members within Southern Baptist churches? What do they mean for pastors in Southern Baptist churches? And I guess, let me just speak to that, because, I mean, I'm in a Southern Baptist church. I pastor a Southern Baptist church. Um, 
Um, I think this is a time for specifically those within our denomination to not look away and to not somehow play down what has transpired. But I think this is a time for us to enter into the sorrow of what it is and the and lament what has gone on and um, to repent of failings both within our own denomination and within uh, maybe our own churches. I think uh, what we all believe here on the podcast is that silence is um, complacency. Uh, and so, um, you know, our, pa- our, pa- our posture towards what has gone on uh, needs to be one of brokenness. It needs to be one of humility. It needs to be one of grief. And I, and I think there are two instances in the Old Testament that I think about in a situation like this with the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 6, as he is there in the throne room of God. And he just says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mm-hmm. You know, Isaiah was willing to enter into the, the, the sorrow, the mess of his own culture. And even if it didn't represent him, he was a part of that. And he was willing to call out the sin in his own people. And I think about Nehemiah as well, you know, in Nehemiah chapter one, when Nehemiah is pouring his heart out to God, he says, God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that is praying before you day and night for your servants. For the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my family, have committed against you. So I think the biblical position, the the response of every Christian in a situation like this is that within the body of Christ, regardless if you're in that denomination or not, these are fellow um, brothers and sisters in Christ. These are um, fellow image bearers of God. And uh, we cannot look away, but we must repent and lament um, what's gone on and, 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 and not be silent about it. You know, I, our, our aim is not to throw stones, uh, but our aim is to enter into the pain of what people are experiencing. And, um, and I think in doing that, I think also as a Southern Baptist church, you know, I think about the fact that what came out in the report, although how pervasive it seemed to be within, uh, issues within the church. It doesn't speak for every SBC church. Um, you know, last time I looked, there's over 47,000 Southern Baptist churches. And so I just think it underscores, actually, I think we were talking about it before we began recording today. And I think so much of this report actually, in some ways, um, shows even more so sometimes the the dissonance and the disconnect that can happen between congregations and even a larger, uh, executive, um, denomination. You know, I think about the, the, the negligence of, um, and, and the sins that were, that came out in the Catholic church, for instance. And, um, once again, how, how much of a disconnect there seemed to be in some of that. And so, you know, um, in, in, in some ways, though, I see the body of Christ coming together to call out the sins of that. I mean, I think when we think about it, even within the Southern Baptist Convention, it was the messengers at an SBC meeting that called for the guidepost report, that called for uh, this to be conducted in an internal investigation. And so, you know, there are people speaking out and speaking up about what's transpired. And... Um, and so I, I guess, guys, my, my question in all of this is, you know, what should a person do if they've been, you know, Laura, you spoke to uh, people that 
have been abused in the church. And I guess my question to you would be, what should a person do, right? If they've been abused by a volunteer or a paid staff member of a local church, what's, 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 what's our steps or what's our response in that? Well, first of all, um, we would say that the very first step is if it's a criminal offense, you need to go directly to the police. And I know that there's a lot of times in, um, in spiritual circles, not even just in Christianity, but there's, there's, there can be this moral upper hand that comes from leadership that says, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing this with, you know, with God's authority. And like, there's a lot of, a lot of words that people like to say when victims come forward to justify their actions or to dismiss victims. But if you've been a victim, if this is a criminal offense, you just walk right on past the church and go straight to the police. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Um, if this is a spiritual or emotional abuse, um, I would say to seek an unbiased outside licensed counselor or psychologist for some input and help. Um, do you all agree with yeah, that? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then also seek to remove or distance yourself from the abusers while you're seeking help, mm. especially if it is from like what we talked about in action, like number one, the first action going to the police. You need to remove yourself, distance yourself from the abusers while you are seeking help. Um, if the abuser, and I think that's so hard. It is I mean, so hard. I mean, just hearing you say that, though, I think, isn't that? I mean, I, I grew up into a home in a home where it, not sexual abuse, but it was physical abuse, mm -hmm. not from my mom, but from my stepfather. Mm -hmm. And so, like, but even thinking about that dynamic of our family, uh, my mom finding the courage to 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 distance herself, to step away and it from is, that, it and is I courage. just know how hard. I mean, I, I remember years that my mom. And our family was going through all that. And it was just this hesitancy to, to take that step. And, and, and actually, even in our situation, in large due to how would the church uh, handle it? If you hear that, that is rain. So there's going to be some oh. background noise, I think. And, uh, but if you hear that, it's just the rain. Um, the loud whooshing sound. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it is a lot of rain, too. Welcome yeah. to um, the studio. Anyway, back but, into the conversation. No, I, I, all I'm saying is that like, th that is so needed to remove and distance yourself from an abuser. But you know what? That is a hard step to make. And mm -hmm. I think it's so important that there is other people. Like, m m I guess my thing would be open up to the person that you can trust the most yeah. and let that be a person that can help you step through those steps together I mean because it's so it's so challenging I would think I mean once again I just know from our family and my experience in abuse situation although not sexual abuse I would think there's some correlation in that right and I think too if you've taken steps to seek counsel from outside sources and whatnot you can lean into the accountability that they can provide to you and the practical to actually help. and the practical help but also like I think of like a counselor a good um, a good counselor mm -hmm they should be there and be willing to counsel you to step out of that situation and be willing to encourage you in that. And, and not, they can't force you to do it, but they can help keep you accountable and ask you questions if you are. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that you have people surrounding you in that um, situation because that is, that is an unbelievably scary situation to be in. Mm -hmm. What else, Laura? So, so, so criminal offense, go directly to the police. Um, Seek, I would say, unbiased outside help, like a counselor or a psychologist, someone who can help you. Um, even if you really don't know where to start, 
those people can help you yeah. and point you in the right direction of just some practical things that you, they might not be able to fix everything, but they can point you in a direction to give you some practical things that you can do. They should be an advocate for you. And they and should all of that. be. Yes. Yeah. And then um, also if the abuser is a volunteer in your church um, or in unpaid leadership, you should inform your senior pastor of the situation. Now this is, as long as your as long as your senior pastor is not the one who is abusing, right? Yes. Um, this is just a practical step. If this is something he does need to be made aware of, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I would I would say that that notifying the leadership and and maybe not even just the senior pastor. You've got you know there's it depends on your church. There's um, deacon boards. There's there's other structures of yes. authority and accountability that should be in your local church. Yes, but. I'll just say this, any church worth their salt, right? Mm-hmm. any church worth a penny will have some type of policy that will instantly be started if any of that happens mm-hmm. to where they will step up and take care of the issue and not conceal it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're and not in a church it, that would do that, you need to run away. Peace out <laughs> run away. Seriously. Yeah. Yes. I think that's, a that's not a church worth a penny if they're not willing to stand no, up if you were to say something. And there's a lot of like psychological abuse that can happen like when people go forward to try to call out sin mm-hmm. or to say they have been hurt or they have been abused. Listen, if somebody is demeaning what you're saying, if someone doesn't believe you, if somebody's not listening to you, if the senior pastor, like Stephen is saying, if they don't have a policy in place to take care of these things, then you need to run away. Yeah. And and something along the, the psychological, like, stress that can come from trying to disclose this in the first place mm-hmm. and then have to face leadership. And there are times when, when victims are blamed, but... If you are a victim, there's absolutely nothing that you could possibly do that warrants somebody sinning in that way against you. It's unacceptable in every form, and it would never, ever be your fault. So if your leadership tries to tell you that you did something to instigate that, again, another indication that you're probably not in a place with solid leadership who is bent on tending to their flock and caring for their people. Because they're not representing well the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I think about Jesus and what Jesus said. I mean, you you think about his word, his his rebuking word to people that, listen to what he said. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. (laughs) That's what Jesus says. Mm-hmm. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Yeah. I mean, you just hear Christ's word to someone who is hurting or injuring. And Jesus in that passage is talking about children. Mm-hmm. And, and he said it would be better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck. I mean, you hear what Jesus is saying. And and so once again, like you're in a church that is not seeking to prevent abuse in any form, then they're not well representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they may have a title, they may have a position, but they're sure not representing the, the Lord. And so I think a question in all this is like, does a church or a ministry or where you're at, do they have appropriate safeguards in place to effectively uh, protect the people from whom they're trying to minister to. And once again, like uh, no church can be perfect on that, but you know, not that we can fully 
prevent it, but there should be things that we can do to protect people from it. Mm-hmm. And, and you, I think if you're a church is not even asking that question right? of, are yeah. we sufficiently transparent in how we're handling things? Or are we having good accountability and how we're selecting volunteers and how people are ministering together, even in terms of private counseling sessions? I mean, mm-hmm. if there's nothing that's been delineated on how a church is going to handle that, I mean, this is the 21st century. We <laughs> right. should be able to, 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 to see some of this. Yeah. And if there's not, maybe there's a place there within your church to, uh, once again, not to come from an attitude of just challenge, but but really to entreat a church to say, hey, don't we want to don't we want to be a safe place for mm-hmm. people and for families? And if mm-hmm. and we should try and do everything possible uh, to create an atmosphere where people can be um, protected. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, would you say safe. to that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in general, churches are often. Um, viewed by predators they're viewed as soft targets Mm -hmm. Um, we emphasize repentance and forgiveness Mm -hmm. and sometimes we do not um, we do not do what the bible says you know we're not following through on how the bible teaches repentance forgiveness and restoration and um, predators predators see us as just soft targets Mm -hmm. and so if you like I, i think what you're saying Aaron, as far as somebody, somebody has the right to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, in your church, should have their, you, yeah. you mm-hmm. have the right. They should be asking those questions. They should questions. be asking those questions. Yeah. But like, you shouldn't feel like you are being offensive or, um, you know, questioning your leadership or anything like that by going and asking those questions. You mm-hmm. should have the freedom to do those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. So, you know, if you've been a person of abuse or sexual abuse, our, our hope and encouragement would be, Hey, seek out, uh, do take some steps to, um, remember that, Hey, you're loved and valued by God. And, and, um, and, and as an image bearer of God, God values you and your life so much. And he loves you. He cares for you. And we live in a sinful world. And we were even just talking on the podcast. It's like, man, this world seems such a mess. And to think about what people endure, what people go through. But man, the church of Jesus Christ should be different. And I think that's what's so grievous about this whole thing is that, sure, we should not be surprised by this in the world, but when it comes to be in the church, uh, shouldn't the church be a safe place uh, for people in in these things? So, um, Morgan, I got a question for you. In, in terms of, you know, uh, not just what does a person do if they've been a victim of an abuse, but what should a person do if they suspect that either they have witnessed the grooming of a person or they've, they've witnessed maybe or, or think that there is abuse happening uh, to someone or to other people within the church? I mean, what should be the steps in all of that? I think the role of the bystander or a, a witness external, um, not someone who is being abused, is perhaps probably the most crucial role in any sort of situation like this because there's a lot riding on that victim and there is a lot that they have to overcome to disclose. But if there is a witness and someone else who knows about it, who does not speak up, it's, it's, it's almost just as bad (laughs) as you're not the abuser, but it's very important that if you notice the signs and there are, there are a lot of things that you can be on the lookout for that you say something, the worst thing you could do is suspect and not say, because that if you go through the proper channels, you're protected as a reporter. 
um, if it's, if it comes. So I, as part of my role in my, in my day job, um, I'm a mandated reporter. And what that means is that if there's any suspected sort of abuse, especially when it comes to children and you see something, you are required by law to say something. And I love that because it puts a huge responsibility on us to be vigilant. And I think it's important that churches adopt this in their volunteer programs. If, if you are going to volunteer with us, you're mandated by law to be a reporter. And what that means is that when you report something to the proper authorities, um, you don't even, you, you can report to a hotline and remain anonymous Things get investigated, and literally the people who investigate are not allowed to say your name. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to put it down anywhere. If you say, "I want to be anonymous, but I think this is going on," if it is internal and you notice something within your church that it's not one of the leaders, if it is another volunteer and you notice grooming behavior, or if if somebody like a friend discloses to you in the body be the person that comes alongside that friend and believes them and champions their cause when they likely will not have the voice or the strength to do it. So walk alongside people to go to your church authority. If it, if the abuse has not come from a church authority, go to them. And uh, like, if it's, you know, if it's your governing body of elders, um, if it is your senior pastor, or if it goes, if, if the senior pastor is the, is the abuser, go higher than that. <laughs> the elders of your local church, go to the congregation, go to the congregation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's all these other safeguards in place. And again, I'm going to go back. What I should have said first, if it's a criminal offense, report to the police. And that's what mandated reporters do. They don't report to church. They don't report to friend. They report to the police. Um, And that way, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it in church politics or whatever. The police are going to have to follow through. Um, And so it's just really, really important that witnesses and, and friends who have been brought into that story by someone who has disclosed to them, do not sit on it. If you are afraid to speak up, that's okay. Take the fear and use it to drive you to action because sitting on something like that is is not helping anybody and it could be leading to further opportunities for abuse. And I'm and again, I don't, I I almost got close to saying this. If you're the witness and you stay silent, you're not abusing the person. That I don't want to make that false analogy, but it is so so important that you speak up. If you're seeing something, especially if someone has outright said, yeah. this has happened to yeah. me. I think about one of the, uh, I'll read from uh, something that our church has adopted in one of our policies for any person that works with uh, any of our children or young people. And that is a prevention policy against sexual abuse. And um, in the paragraph, it talks about, you know, what is a reasonable uh, suspicion? I think that's what you're talking about mm-hmm. here. And what we mean by that is if there's any credible evidence or discrepancy or inconsistent history in explaining a child's uh, suspected abuse. And a report based on reasonable suspicion does not require proof that abuse or neglect has actually occurred. It's called and I a report think, in good faith. That's I it. Think. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. So you, it's not that you have to have hard and fact evidence. I think sometimes we think that. Like, mm-hmm. I have to have hard and fact evidence before I can say something. It's not your job to investigate. That's you it. have questions that's or... Un- that's a great point. You have unanswered questions as to why or how something is going on. And it's a discrepancy, like you said, is the best mm-hmm. way to say Leave it. Leave it to the police to investigate. Don't push any further. Only go with mm-hmm. what you have been told and what you have seen, because sometimes that is just enough yeah. to get bad people out of places where they can do more harm. And to take responsibility for what you're able to do. I yeah. think that's what we're saying yeah. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here's the last question uh, that we have for us to consider, and that is, why does it matter that the church addresses abuse head on? 
Mm. Um, I, I think we all would agree it does matter, mm-hmm. right? So we, we affirm that it does matter why a church should address it head on. But what are some of the reasons for why the body of Christ is engaging in this? Why are we not looking away? Why, why, why are we taking the initiative to become an advocate in what's transpired? Laura? Well, for me, you can see, like, if you go from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, you see God, he, he himself cares for and contends for those who are vulnerable, and he calls his people to do the same. Mm-hmm. Listen, if, even if you're not, like, super familiar with the Bible, you can, like, Google that. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a this, litany of verses. There yeah. are so <laughs> yep. many verses yeah. that when we were going through and preparing for this, I started writing references down and looking them up, and then I stopped and was like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> because this is clearly... On God's heart. Yeah. Um, he cares about the vulnerable and those who are abused. And he expects us as believers to not only care and have feelings about it, but to act right. and defend if, them. Because if we don't, we're we're almost creating a channel for it, conti- for it to continually happen. Right. And we are that's not something we're called to do. He gives us, he you know, says to be a voice for the voiceless and, and things like mm. that. So I... Yeah, Jeremiah, out of all the verses you put down, Jeremiah 22, verse 3, uh, I think it really summarized it well. It, it, it says this, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Yeah. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, God's inviting us to get involved in the middle of the mess um, because once again, how we treat people as a representation of 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 him mm-hmm. as image bearers of Christ, and so, um, you know, I, I, what what other reasons, Stephen? Any other reasons I mean, why the church I would gets say involved in that? Silence is passive support. Um, yeah, you might not actively support them. Yeah, you might not be a part of the executive committee who concealed a list. Yeah, you might not have been on the list. Yeah, you might not have been a part of the report. But if you know of something and you are unwilling to say something, silence is passive support. It's not and, doing justice. Um, no, no, you literally are condoning it with your sin of omission. And it's not a sin of commission, but you're sinning by your omission of the truth. And the truth is never easy. But his like it it's it's an old saying, yeah, it, and it it's like cheesy, but like the truth is always the best way. And it is. Like Yes, it's hard. Yes, it burns relationships sometimes. But in all honesty, if a tr- if the truth burns a relationship, the relationship wasn't worth um, saving anyway because the truth is what counts. So stand up for truth uh, and don't be silent. Mm-hmm. Um, Christians ought to call each other to a high standard of love and purity. And when we cannot, we invalidate the gospel message that we preach and to claim that we can preach the gospel and that we need to conceal something so the gospel can go forward. That is the biggest bunch of baloney that anyone could ever say because the gospel can only go forward when we are preaching the truth and we are calling out. You're right. You're right. And and, and bringing everything full circle. I think that's the greatest frustration in Mm -hmm. what comes out from the SBC. The gospel coalition wrote an article on the response to what had transpired. And I, I think the way they describe it, it just really boils the issue down to what's why people are so upset, not just for what transpired, but the real issue is this is what the, the together for the gospel, um, no, no, I'm sorry. This is the Gospel Coalition article. This is what it writes. The report details how abuse victims called for reforms and crafted plans for a centralized sexual abuse database for the convention over 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. 
leaders rejected the plan. In itself, that's a scandal. Mm -hmm. But for the same executive committee leaders, they saw the same need for a database so clearly that they created one for themselves internally, collecting records of over 700 abusers in the span of a decade. And this is what they say, instead of using the report to protect the vulnerable in SBC churches, they kept it private to protect themselves in the case of lawsuits. And I think that's just like... And you, you can actually like go into the report. So I, I delved into it a little bit. You can actually read some of the emails among the top committee members. And literally in one of the emails, one of the people had the audacity to say something to the effect of, and again, this is not an exact quote, but to the effect of... Uh, in order to continue to press forward for the gospel, we are not going to have any distractions. And oh, I was just like, that is the most You're missing the gospel. That is the most audacious, like blatant statement against the gospel. Like, how can you be so blind to what the gospel is? Because the also, gospel requires you to stand up for purity and love and truth. And what I also get so frustrated about, it's it's not... Like so much of what the church does in the world, we're always being looked at. We're a city set on a hill. And if that city is burning, Mm -hmm. like what the heck? Like Christian, do not forget whose name you are representing. You're not representing the name of a church. You're representing the name of Jesus. Jesus. And I think if we really every day, if we sit under that for just a minute in the morning, like I am bearing the name of Jesus Christ to the world. And if I misrepresent that, then woe to me. That's it. Because who Jesus does not stand for this. Yeah, because the actions of a church either nullify or they strengthen the validity of, of our faith. And so when people are looking at the church, they're 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 looking at the church to to see a fuller picture of who Jesus is. And if this is the picture that we're giving people that in an effort to give the gospel, we're gonna minimize something else. Like we're missing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Miss it entirely. In that. So God cares about the vulnerable, God cares about the mistreated. The whole Bible is a story of how God entered into our brokenness so that he could redeem us out of it. And now he calls on us to reflect his image. And if we're failing on that, then we're missing a big part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so um, we just want to say to you, listen, if you've been abused, please seek help. And if you suspect you've witnessed it, speak up and mm-hmm. and don't be complacent in, in what you see. And um, guys, what else? Anything else to say before we sign off here? I I just, I always have a deep sorrow for people who, because of someone in leadership, who said they were, again, acting in the authority of our Lord and in the name of Jesus have have seen that person's wickedness and transposed that onto the Lord. And they say, if that's God, I don't want anything of it. I promise you, the Lord is so much better and kinder and he is, he is truly love. And whatever that person did to you, that was not of him. A thousand times over, that was not. So, you know, I... You know, I, I have no authority to say don't give up on on the Lord and on faith. I don't have that, but that's that's not the truth um, of you know your experience. It's it's not the Lord's true love. So if you have any ounce of strength left to to not give up on Him, um, find true people of faith that can rally around you and and show you the true way of life, and that is through Jesus. So yeah, I just. Hey, Morgan, thanks. I don't think any of us could have said it any better. 
And uh, that'll conclude our conversation here today on this topic. And we thank you so much for listening with us and for joining our conversation here today on Where We Land. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, listen, if you've heard anything on the conversation today that you would like to know more about, we would love to hear from you. So please reach out to us, find us on social media at Where We Land, or you can visit our website at whereweland.org. We look forward to joining you here on the next conversation. We'll see you then.